The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I am Ryan Carella, and I am so thrilled to be having you here this week. I am back. I am back from my four-week dadding hiatus, and I am so thrilled to be chatting with all of you again. I missed you terribly, but... As uh, as many of you diehards on this program know, who've been following this show for the last month or so, you know I've been been I've been a little busy. I've been a little busy. We got some things going on. We got some family related matters. I have been a enthusiastic participant in bringing the most adorable baby you've ever seen into the world. And on July fifteenth last month, we welcomed Nathan Corella into the world. Beautiful. Healthy boy. There he is. Lauren just put him up there. Beautiful, healthy boy. Look at him in this picture here, wearing a break the business onesie, looking so, so cute. Although he is giving a little bit of a side eye. He, he's got like a resting judgmental face, but uh, I love him all the same. He has uh, just, he puts a perpetual smile on my face. It just opens a whole new world for me being a dad. It's incredible. Also, I'm so freaking tired. I am exhausted i i'm just like new worlds of tired you're gonna hear it in my voice because already the idea of talking consistently for a one-hour show by we get to by the time we get to like 42 43 minutes in i'm gonna be dead man walking this is gonna be a tough one for me i am exhausted but i know the thrill of empowering indie creators and talking to all of you on live stream or on sirius xm or on all major podcast platforms wherever you're checking this out is gonna be enough to keep me going before we get into the festivities, oh, I just can't help but just looking at how adorable this little baby is. Let me go ahead and bring in producer Lauren. Lauren, um, wanted to bring you in as well. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? Still I'm in Scotland. At a super cute baby. Yes. I am. I am in Scotland for another few hours at least. Uh, okay, so you are you are you are in Scotland at at, uh, at Fringe, but. Not for too much longer, but while I have you here, I wanted to bring you in first and foremost to thank you for keeping the program on the rails the last four weeks, wherever you were, because you were in Miami for some of that time. You've been in Scotland, but you've been producing the show the whole time. You've been fantastic. Also, a big, big thank you to Elisa Rockdoc for uh, guest hosting the show for four weeks. And... I can't say that she did it capably because that would be that would be an understatement. It would require a gift for understatement to say that it was a capable job or a serviceable job. She blew the doors off the place. She was wonderful. Like I've been doing this for five years. I got the reps in. She comes in cold and is just incredible because again, and sometimes I forget this because I've known her since we were 13 years old. We went to school together and I sometimes forget like, oh, right. 
This is a professional. She's a accomplished broadcaster and musician, voiceover artist. Of course she can handle this peddling little radio show and put on a fantastic effort. She was so great, Lauren. The two of you together were wonderful. It was so much fun to hang out with her. Like it was it was great. I told her, she's like, you know, anytime you need us. I was like, wait, wait, anytime, don't say that, because I'm gonna say all the time. Yeah. I just you can hear anytime. I'm sure some of the listeners will, too. I mean, I I imagine there is a contingent out there that would rather uh, hear from a really talented musician and voiceover artist, somebody who's effervescent and has really cool hair, than the crusty entertainment lawyer. Um, Oh, no, we love you, Ryan. Well, I'm somebody's father now, so you have to be nice. (laughs) We have to be nice to you or the kid, because I'm pretty sure, like, he gets to complain about you all the time. Well, nobody, we don't have to require. And gives you side eyes. Hmm. We don't have to require anyone to be nice to the kid. Put the kid's picture back up. (laughs) Like, you're telling me anybody is going to be mean. Oh, my God, is going to be mean to that kid. So, so cute, Nathan. All right, you can take him down again. Because I'm going to lose focus. Because, like, my dad instincts are going to kick in. And I'm going to start thinking about, like, how at any second he could start crying. And I have to run away from this live stream to go take care of him. Yeah. Uh, so like there, there's a, they're entirely, it's entirely possible, Lauren, that like at any moment the kid's going to start screaming and my wife's going to start screaming and I have to run out in the middle of the show. And then you get to interview our guest this week, entertainment lawyer, Joshua Lasting. really excited to talk to him. Super talented, accomplished entertainment lawyer has worked with so many fantastic organizations, creative arts agency, Lionsgate, Viacom, CBS, just really excited to get his perspective on the art of deal making. And he should be pretty good at, you know, sharing that information because he teaches it as well. He does. I teaches at the was professor at the Los Angeles Film School, right? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Like it's yeah. And it's one thing to do it. It's it's a whole other level to be able to teach people to do it. So I have a lot of respect for uh professors, especially of something like business law, entertainment, like <laughs> whoo. Yeah. I do too. I see that caption there. Ryan is back and he's making it about him again. Yes, he is. But, you know, making it about him, but also making it about this fantastic little baby. There he is again. Fantastic little baby we brought into the world here. Uh, I'm so happy. My wife is doing wonderfully. Thank you all for sending the well wishes through the emails and the tweets and the Facebook posts. It's been so heartening. We are all smiles here at the Corella household and uh, just this fantastic bundle of joy you brought in the world. But about Joshua Lasting, oh. here's the thing about him that I, I really dig. And it, it uh, Rena Seagull, who we had on a few weeks ago, also embodies this, is these people get to be like the classic entertainment lawyer, like the central casting entertainment lawyer. When you close your eyes and think entertainment lawyer, it's like a cool, young, hip lawyer good-looking lawyer from Southern California who teaches at the LA Film School, who's worked with all the top agencies and networks. Like, I'm not the central casting entertainment lawyer. I'm not in SoCal. I'm not cool or hip. You know, I host a radio show in my garage. Are you getting jealous? I'm profoundly jealous. Am I not making that clear in all of this soliloquy? Yes, I want to be the cool hip entertainment lawyer. There's a lot of jelly on there. Uh, peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> but I will live vicariously through our guest, Joshua Lastine, and just you know talk about the amazing stuff he's doing and, he, and have him talk about the art of deal-making. Super important for indie artists to uh, talk about. Let me tell you, Lauren, 
before we bring in Joshua, about uh, two things that, two stories, two occurrences in entertainment that I have been casually observing in between an innumerable amount of diaper changes and feedings and just, you know, you don't sleep much in this parenting line of work. And so you get a lot of time to just scroll through TikTok while you're, you know, your kid's nursing or whatever. Um, and, and you get to call it research. And oh, no, like, lest you think that I've just like had, you know, I've turned off the entertainment industry for the last month. No, I've been like drinking it all in. And there are two things in particular that I've like kind of surveyed in the last month that I just wanted to talk about. One of them is a very serious entertainment industry story. It was so serious that like, if I was any less devoted of a dad, I would have like popped in on one of these last four episodes and broke into programming and talked about this story. Um, but the other story, not as serious, but I think much more enjoyable. And I want to talk about that one first. You know, Lauren, from doing this show with me, that one of my favorite things to do is just talk endlessly about whatever thing on TikTok I'm obsessed about this week. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think that should be like a segment on the show. Like, what stupid thing on TikTok is Ryan obsessed with now? For a while, it was Chasen and that video he was doing where he was playing his song all over L.A. We even brought him on the show to talk about it. We have Nobody Likes You, Pat. Pat Killorn, who actually got to be on the show when Elisa was hosting, who hit that ridiculously high note that I was obsessed with. And now my new TikTok obsession that I want to talk about, because he was he was keeping me going the last four weeks through these 3 a.m. feedings, is indie creator PJ Harding. Okay. He, he is a musician, a fantastic acoustic musician, and he has created this new trend on TikTok that I am obsessed with. Called, and this is okay. Will, it's called hashtag Will It Sad Song. And what Will It Sad Song is, is that PJ Harding puts out TikTok videos where he takes popular, up tempo, often like, you know, pop or dance songs and experiments to see could you make it a sad song? Okay. If you put like a slow acoustic tempo behind it, if you did arpeggiated finger picking chords, if Move you it to like, like a minor key, like what are we? Yeah, transpose okay. it into a minor key. Sing it like your uh, Connor Oberst from Bright Eyes or or a Death Cab for Cuties Ben Gibbard. Can you make a happy upbeat song sound like a sad song? And the answer is almost always yes. And if you're PJ Harding, it works every single time. I want to play one example of this. Okay. All right, this is PJ Harding. I think you have it there, Lauren, doing a Will It Sad Song version of Tub Thumping by okay. Chumbawamba. Can you play this for us, please? Yeah. Oh, wait. Let me make sure you're at the beginning of the thing. It's <laughs> yes. trying to no, play you got, the got... end of the track here. Absolutely. Hold on. Here we go. Drink some whiskey drink. I drink some vodka drink. I drink some lager drink. I drink some cider drink. I sing songs that remind me of the good times. I sing songs that remind me of the better times. Okay, okay. Oh, wait, do we have to hear this part? Okay, that's good. That's good. Oh, 
Love it. See, I mean, and to think I almost cut it off right before the chorus. That would have been the best part. That would have been criminal on my part. So if the question is... I'm pretty sure you just love him because he's playing a ukulele. That, I mean, and a lot of his Will It Sad Song videos don't have a ukulele. That one does. So obviously that's the one I picked. But that's incredible. And uh, he also has videos. You should check him out. It's at PJ Harding on TikTok. He's done... A Will It Sad Song version of About Damn Time by Lizzo, Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus, You're the One That I Want by John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, which took on a whole other meeting now that we've lost Olivia Newton-John. Very, very sad. Walking on Sunshine by Katrina and the Waves. I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred, I think is his cover, his, his Will It Sad Song that's gone the most viral on TikTok. That's the first one I stumbled upon. I'm obsessed with it though. I, I I wait like every day. Like, oh, is are we gonna get a new Will and Sad song this week or today? And I think it's just so so funny. What a cool, imaginative, funny thing to do on TikTok that I know is bringing people to the rest of his music, which is fantastic. Okay, so now I get to be uh, help me legal man uh, for everybody else. But like, how does that work? Does he get permission? from these people to do it is is tiktok a platform where that is now safe but he can't use it outside of that for himself or or i mean he's doing cool things with other people's songs but how does that work that is a very fantastic question see i you know i just wanted to show you something funny on tiktok and now you're making me put my damn lawyer hat on i've gotten three hours of sleep this whole week and now you're gonna have me put on my lawyer hat okay here's how it works because I think this actually is a very good question that you brought up, Lauren. Um, yes, even though you know he's covering an existing musical composition. And right now, TikTok is kind of this nebulous area. I've actually talked to reps from TikTok about this, where I've said, hey, you guys got a lot of people covering songs on TikTok. I know you're not setting up synchronization licenses for all these artists. Um, are artists going to get in trouble for this? And what I've gotten back is they've said that TikTok is actually negotiated with a lot of these publishing companies to get a lot of flexibility here. The major publishers are generally giving TikTok and its creators some breathing room because they want to kind of make it a creative space. It's not like YouTube where you're seeing a little more clamping down, but generally for creators, um, a lot of the covers you might want to do should have some kind of deal negotiated with the publishers. But it's going to be one of those things where, and maybe we can get Joshua Lasting to, to weigh in on this as well as an entertainment lawyer, but we have not seen any situation yet where I have seen a, a cover artist get nailed with some kind of copyright thing for, you know, doing a Will It Sad song type cover on TikTok. But that could change. The landscape could change. Well, have any change. of them really profited on it is the question, because it only comes when... You know, my career started because of a cover I did of so-and-so's whatever. Well, it depends Um, on what you, it depends on what you define as profited, right? You think of an mm -hmm. artist like Justin Bieber. He got his start doing covers of songs on YouTube. And did he make money off of any of those? No, but it's what got him discovered. And now he's Justin Bieber today. So in theory, these songs that PJ Harding's putting out could bring him new fans, which then draw those fans to his other music. TikTok does have a creator fund and things like that, so maybe there's ways to monetize it there. And if PJ Harding wanted to, he could take any of these songs. Like, let's say somebody gets like, let's say that there's a huge engagement on that tub thumping song. And enough people are like, dude, can you make that a full song and release it? The answer is, yeah, he could do that. He could upload that to Spotify, 
Spotify would uh, take care of the mechanical licenses. So, you know, the royalties would get paid out to whoever wrote Trump Trump Thumping originally. Really? And he'd be able to collect the royalties as the recording artist. You don't have to get permission. You just have to pay out royalties and you can just do it. You do not need to get permission because of our our good friend, the compulsory mechanical license. That's a fancy word. Well. Compulsory what? So, well, (laughs) here's how it works, okay? Okay. Let's say I wrote it, write a song. Okay. Uh-huh. Once I've written the song and release it, so I'm like the first person to like put that song out into the world, usually as a recording. Okay. Um, anybody in the world is allowed to cover my song, do a cover version of my song without my permission as the songwriter, as long as I get paid my statutory royalties under the law. It's called a compulsory mechanical license. If you want to do Who that, sets that amount? Congress, or and a and a independent. Uh, royalty board type situation. But generally there's like a whole legal procedure if you want to qualify for a compulsory license. But a lot of the publishing companies just say, eh, we don't want you to go through all that paperwork. We're going to set up a procedure for you to do it. Um, And if you want to, for example, let's say you wanted to cover tub thumping and release it as a CD. Mm -hmm. You have to pay the original songwriter 9.1 cents for every physical CD copy you make. If you're going to offer it for download on iTunes, you have to pay a 9.1 cent royalty for every download on iTunes. If you're releasing it for streaming on Spotify, that's the easiest situation. Those streaming services, they take care of the mechanical royalties. And so if you're interested in one of these options, Uh um, most of these streaming services or most of the distribution services like CD Baby have a platform where you can upload these covers and get that taken care of. There's also a platform called Easy Song Licensing, which can help you get your your compulsory mechanical licensing set up so you can release cover songs legally. Now, we've only scratched the surface of this topic. It is a topic in itself. There are a lot of rules. One, you cannot use an actual recording, a previous recording, so you can't sample. has to be completely new. Mm -hmm. Two, you can't change the fundamental character of the song. You can So you can take tub thumping and you can do a sad version of it, but you Mm -hmm. can't change the lyrics substantially. You can't translate the lyrics into a new language. You can't combine the song with another song. It's It has to be a true cover of that song. Okay. And I feel like we just covered like a semester of copyright law in four <laughs> minutes there. I hope we didn't leave everybody very confused. That's what but happens when I ask questions. What it's a cool topic though. And it is one that copyright lawyers like me and probably Joshua realize that as TikTok is kind of rising up as this platform of choice. And there's a lot of say copyright borrowing going on. It creates a wide range of new legal challenges that not just artists have to confront, but lawyers have to confront. And so that, and big tech has to confront and the publishing companies have to confront so that we can create a space where creators can thrive, where the next generation can borrow from the generation that preceded them and it's up to us lawyers to help guide them. It's a, it's an exciting time to be an entertainment lawyer in the big tech world, but it's also uh, very scary and uncertain. And yeah. um, the point is, I really like this Will It Sad Song segment, and I uh, enjoyed watching these videos while feeding my new baby. Don't take it away from me. <laughs> I know. You're, you're the lawyer, and yet I'm the one who keeps turning it around to, like, when we talk business... Because you're always like, let's talk about something fun at my house. And I'm like, I know, I just wanted to tell you a fun story. (laughs) And you made me be a lawyer just now. Now. Hey, if I get the advice, I'm going to ask for it. (laughs) 
but here's the kicker. All right. Here's, here's what we're going to, here's what we want to do. I, I, I sent this, I sent this video to Zach Sloan, oh. to our friend Zach Sloan, uh, oh. who himself is a phenomenal musician. And I said, what do you think of you and me doing a will it sad song off? Okay. Like, is there a song that you like that you could make into a sad song? And he's like, and like before I, I feel like before I even hit send on, send on my text asking if he wanted to do this, he texted back and said, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I thought he was going to be like, this is my first answer. Right. And so, and then I, and so, and I said, I'd be willing to do it too. So I think next week on the show, we, me and Zach Sloan might each have our own sad song version of a song. And hopefully we'll make it serious, you know, silly enough and we'll you know, play it for a short enough time. I think we'll have a decent parody argument, but um, either way. So that's, that's, that's what you can be looking forward to next week. All right. I'm teasing it now. Ryan Carella and Zach Sloan are going to have a will it sad song off in honor of our new TikTok sensation friend, PJ Harding. I want to play. You, do you I don't do... even know how to write music and I want to play. Well, but, yes. so, but you need an instrument though. No, I don't know. I are you gonna do? You gonna do somebody. acapella? Will it sad song? No, I'm gonna get one of my Rolodex of piano players to sit there and play with me. You could or maybe guitar. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I have. I have a week here. I got you have this. a week. You have a week. <laughs> if you want to. If you want to join our will it sad song off. Um. All right. So okay. that wasn't even my serious story. Here's my serious story. All right. This is the story that again when I came upon it two weeks ago. I almost like abandoned my dad responsibilities to come back and host the episode just to talk about this story. This is wild. Do you remember, Lauren? Mm -hmm. Back in November, we did a story about the video platform Triller, uh, which is like a TikTok offshoot. Okay. They had announced that they were going to set up a fund for black creators on the platform mm -hmm. because... There was this perception that TikTok was not doing enough for black creators, that they're basically allow you know, black creators were creating all these cool trends on TikTok and not getting credited and, you know, we're not getting adequately paid. So Triller said, we're going to change that. We're setting up a fund. We're going to provide hundreds of black creators, um, a, not only a platform to make great uh, videos, but we're going to pay them. We're going to give each of them $2,000 in cash a month mm. and $2,000 a month in equity in the TrillerNet company that was going to be launching as an IPO. And on this platform, on this podcast, obviously, we celebrated this. Yeah. Oh, my God. Triller stepping up for black creators, getting them paid, but also, even more importantly, letting them participate on the equity side. That's been a constant theme of this program, how mm -hmm. we've talked about how this big tech revolution in entertainment, the creators are being left out of it. They're getting paid on the labor side, but nobody's making money on these platforms that are, you know, on the, on the equity side, these platforms are becoming billion dollar platforms and the artists aren't participating, but here comes Triller. That's going to let black creators actually get to be an equity participant in this soon to be IPOing company. And so naturally we celebrated it. Smash cut to a couple weeks ago. A recent report in the Washington Post by Taylor Lorenz casted serious doubts on everything that Triller promised. Mm -hmm. uh, the article talked about how Triller was not making payments to these black creators. They brought in all these black creators, said, you know, make make some content for us. We're going to pay you $2,000 a month. We're going to pay you equity. And all of a sudden, uh, a bunch of uh, these creators, these black creators were reporting, hey, we're not getting our checks from Triller. They're saying, we'll pay you in 60 days, 
and it was taking them 90 days, 120 days. Some artists were getting paid late. Some artists were not getting paid at all. Some artist uh, Triller was trying to kick them out of the program for ticky tack reasons like, oh, you didn't you submitted a video a day late as if to say like, oh, we need to get some some of these creators out of our program to save money. And and just I mean, and so it looked like this program that was meant to just empower black creators turned out to be a lot a, a sham in a big way. Uh, the article. Did they state anything like have they responded? Oh, yeah. So, okay. you know, Triller is I mean. In, in the article, Triller says, we're, we're keeping our payments current. You know, we're, we're, we're committed to this. Everything that's being published isn't true, which you'd expect them to say. But on the other side of that, you have dozens of black creators saying, no, we didn't get paid on time. And we haven't seen a dime of equity. One of the people that was quoted in the article is an influencer named David Warren, mm -hmm. who talked about his experience. And I'm just going to quote from the article here so you can see kind of how bad it got. Uh, from the article, quote, many of the creators who signed deals with Triller say that they've been left deep in debt and are facing eviction and skipping meals to make ends meet. For Warren, the experience has also conjured up questions about the ethics of the influencer industry and whether apps sold as empowering a generation of creators are instead exploiting vulnerable talent. Quote, this program was meant to make us financially free and to empower black people, he said. They told us that so much was going to happen for us we were made to look like fools. And there was one part of this article that that made the lawyer in me, now you're going to make me bring back lawyer Ryan, made me so mad. All right, there, uh, somebody had quoted a Triller email to some of these black creators who had said, hey, Triller, why aren't you paying us? Where's our two grand? Where's our equity? And the, uh, the, the email allegedly said, quote, we want to inform you that there may be a delay in completing our ongoing contractual obligations with your firm. Because many of these artists got paid through their LLCs. Mm -hmm. The company said. The company, it said the company was preparing to go public through a reverse merger. And as part of Triller's, quote, fiduciary responsibility to complete that merger deal, we were obligated to maintain a certain amount of dedicated resources on our books to complete the transaction. Holy crap. I. They, yeah. Yeah. So basically, in an email, Triller admits. We're not going to pay you because we don't have the money. Generally, as a lawyer, I would never advise a client, hey, maybe you don't materially breach your or don't willfully announce you're willfully breaching a contract in your email because, you know, we are obligated to maintain a certain amount of dedicated resources on our books to complete the transaction. Is They're saying really... we have to leave it in our bank account. They're yeah. not even saying like we don't have it. We're like, mm, we can't give that to you because it looks bad for us. But like, what a really fantastic corporate way of saying we're about to stiff you. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Oh. And it, it to me, it represents the worst of big tech, because if what this article is alleging is true, mm -hmm. then what you have is a company that was on the precipice of an IPO was starving for good publicity. And so they made an announcement of here's what we're going to do for black creators with no intention to actually deliver on it, because as long as they got the good pub that got them to the IPO, they got everything they need. And if they, you know, ruffled a few uh, creators along the way, if they stiffed a few creators along the way, if they left a few creators hungry and evicted along the way, it was a it was the case of broken eggs to make an omelet because they got this IPO'd company now. And oh my God, it's disgusting. So you think they just built it to sell it? Like it was... 
you know what I mean? Like it was about the sale price of what they built and not building something they actually wanted to use, I, I, maintain, make the world a better place. I cannot speak to Triller's motives. You know, I don't know what's in their head. What? But I would say that if I was going to try to get positive publicity to get an IPO and didn't have any intention on actually fulfilling my promises to the black creators, this is what it would look like. I'm not saying they were trying to scam these creators, but if they were trying to scam them, this is what it would look like. Well, whether they were trying to or not, it's being called to their attention that they have. And yeah. uh, now we have to watch what they're going to do about it because we don't want yet another situation where we're leaving groups of people behind that we once told we were going to help. Like, yeah. it's and not a good way to go. And frankly, this probably would have come out because, again, we talked about this story back in November. This story probably would have come out even sooner had a lot of these creators not been sort of pushed into silence mm. because they don't have a lot of leverage here. You know, they they're afraid if they talk to the press, then the checks just aren't going to come at all rather than come in as a trickle. Right. You know, they, they are they're, they're holding. Yeah, they're holding out hope that maybe this will turn around. Maybe Triller will get their stuff together. Maybe we'll still get that equity. But if we go and, you know, make a fuss now, if we go talk to Taylor Lorenz at the Washington Post, we're going to miss out on this. And so this story stayed secret for almost a year wow. before uh, the Washington Post blew this thing wide open and kind of showed that the emperor has no clothes. But, I mean, what a frustrating thing for creators. And I feel like partially in a small way kind of guilty because we were we, like yeah we were banging the drum about this like look at triller finally doing something for black creators that are you know propping up these platforms like tiktok and and you know we were just part of the pr machine that triller was trying to generate and it's it's yeah. so so frustrating like I, I, what i want to see is if a company is going to do this mm -hmm. if a company is saying we're going to create a fund we're going to have equity that we're going to give to creators. We're going to have a steady paycheck. I want them to say, here are the funds already deposited in an escrow account. Oh. Earmarked and set aside for this. In the same way that when a company, when you have a startup and you're going to have options for your stock options for your employees, you create those on the front end. You create an option pool. You already have those shares set aside so you can't give them to somebody else. I want to see a creator fund pool. If you're going to promise these black creators equity and Triller, you need to have it set up on the front end. And frankly, the fact that they didn't shows poor corporate governance and ethically lapsed behavior. And, you know, just for somebody like me who wanted to see indie creators get to participate on the equity side of big tech. It is wild. How does that work? If I'm, okay. I got to stay focused because we've got a wonderful guest coming in after the break yes. and I'm going to distract longer than I need to, but how does that benefit when it goes public? Like if it becomes an IPO in theory, aren't they trying to build something that uh, benefits the people that are making it and not private investors or is that not how it works like they both i don't know i'm well, not the business person here i certainly think that triller when triller made this promise to these black creators i think they had a projection of what their cash flow situation would be eight months from the time they made the announcement that mm -hmm. turned out to not be true and I'm sure they were very afraid of their financials 
showing a bad financial position because of these promises they made to these creators. And they probably decided it was better to not pay these creators than to have bad financials on the precipice of an IPO. It's certainly not, you know, certainly this, this bombshell Washington Post article is not no. good for their IPO. I'm just saying like an IPO in general wouldn't, like if your goal was to do an IPO, why are you giving pieces of it to the creators? Like I figured- Because they, they wanted the positive publicity. In the same way that when a company has a startup, you give your employees stock options because you want the best employees hired into your company. Triller wanted to be able to have the best black creators on their platform. And this is how you know, they, they, and they dangled gave them, them with a plastic carrot like they yeah. got there, but there's no substance to it. Yeah. And it's uh, it's really frustrating. And like when this this article came out two weeks ago, I was like feeding the baby at the time, like looking at, oh, my God. And I haven't heard anything about it since. And I don't want this momentum to end because Triller needs to be held to account. And the next time a company does this, it needs to be a real commitment. And I want the industry to hold big tech's feet to the fire here. All right, we should take a break because yes. you are right that we do need to talk to Josh Olastine. Yes. Excited to bring him on right after the break. Don't go anywhere. Keep checking out Break the Business. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. I'm Ryan Carella, entertainment lawyer, radio host, dad, and for all of those various reasons, I'm excited to be here with you on this week's episode. You can check out Break the Business on all major podcast platforms, Twitch, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and Sirius XM 145. Much love to Slam Radio. Let's go ahead and bring out our guest. Excited to talk to him. He is a SoCal-based entertainment lawyer and the managing partner at Lasting Entertainment Law PC. Our guest has previously worked with Creative Artist Agency, Lionsgate, and Viacom CBS, and is a professor at the Los Angeles Film School teaching entertainment business law and entertainment business and media ethics. Recently, our guest was also recognized in Variety's Legal Impact Report as a top industry deal maker. We are happy to welcome Joshua Lasting on to Break the Business. Hi, Joshua. 
Hey, Ryan. Hey, Lauren. Hey, audience. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Happy to have you here. I don't know how much of the first segment you caught, Joshua, but I was saying at the beginning that you, I love having the entertainment lawyers on that are the SoCal entertainment lawyers that look like they're straight out of so, uh, out of central casting if I'm trying to cast a SoCal entertainment lawyer. Like, you got the cool hair, you got the cool clothes on, you went to Pepperdine, which is where all the cool uh, SoCal entertainment lawyers go to, and you got the amazing resume. You've worked with so many fantastic entertainment organizations. Now you have your own shop while teaching at the Los Angeles Film School. I want to get your origin story to start things off. It's my favorite thing to ask entertainment lawyers. What got you interested in entertainment law? Well, well, well I, I got I to laugh. Thanks for all the kudos. Thanks for all the credits. But really, I'm an originally an Iowa farm boy at heart. I'm, I'm from Iowa, born and raised Whoa. from a small town in the middle of bum nowhere. Um, much like Luke Skywalker on the planet Tatooine, I knew I wanted to fly away off of the farm and kind of chase my dreams in this crazy world of Hollywood. Uh, you, you know, growing up as a kid, as a kid, you know, in the late eighties, early nineties and seeing kind of the, the behind the scenes of how film and TV was made. I was so more interested in all of those behind the scene footage and the, after the VHS, uh, after the DVD, the, the director commentary and stuff, you know, so many people, uh, when I was growing up, kind of took it for granted. You turned on the TV or put in a movie and the people just kind of appeared there. It was really growing up as a kid and seeing, you know, the behind the scenes on Star Wars and stuff and, and seeing how real uh, uh, grass uh, grassroots boots to the ground creators make stuff with their hands that really got me invigorated and in wanting to be a part of the business. And 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 really, you know, I'm not a, a creative content maker by, by, by my trade. But just being involved in the business and legal affairs side of things and being able to contribute and be able to help people like that create their creative vision. Um, that, that's something that I always, always chasing, something that I was always going after. So so I came out to, to uh, Pepperdine, went to law school, like you said, in Malibu, um, have worked for a number of corporations uh, in the entertainment industry out here in L.A. Most of my um, experience has been more so on the film and TV side of things. I know you guys were getting into the kind of the weeds on the transactional, the compulsory music license stuff uh, uh, walking in. So, so this is going to be an interesting, excellent conversation. Absolutely. And I want to talk to you about this entertainment industry that you, you, uh, you speak about. Cause I know one of the, one of the things that you like to bring up to folks is how much this industry is growing. And you often try to impart to your students, how to best prepare yourself to be part of this growing industry. You've written about how the entertainment industry is poised to employ over 3 million people by 2026. Wow. Right. I had no idea the number was, was that like, big, that's a but lot bigger than that's, I thought. Yeah. that's really cool. And so I want to talk to you, Joshua, about how the folks listening and watching this program can get into it. And first, I want to look at it from the education side. And maybe maybe I'm asking somebody who might have a, a warped perspective on this since you are a college professor. But do you recommend that people get some kind of formal education specific to entertainment? if they want to work in the entertainment industry? 
That's a great question. And I'm going to say that formal education can be used in a very loose sense. If if you're on the ground being the production assistant uh, on a live production, that's about as best training as you can possibly get. Um, Getting into the action in some way, shape or form, whether it's through a school like L.A. Film School or just being a a volunteer helping out at a local theater, local community production, uh, just getting in there and getting involved is, is really what you have to do. So much of the entertainment industry is based on jargon and based on who you know. Um, and, and, and really it's such a, you know, it's such an art form that you really kind of have to be in the trenches and, and learn the, the, the nuts and bolts of how entertainment's made, how the sausage is made, um, um, to really kind of get a, full 360 perspective. You know, it's really interesting. When I started my career, I think there was something like only 400, 500 TV shows on air. And now we're upwards of like 900, um, almost a thousand TV shows, uh, a new programming appear on any given, uh, uh, I think maybe in 2021, 2022. So the opportunities are exponentially out there, whether it's in traditional television, film, whether it's the influencer, YouTube route, podcasts, obviously are, are, are very popular. Um, but, but the ability for people to monetize their own creative expression, um, there's never been a better time for independent creators to kind of break the mold and go out on their own. Um, circling back to your question on the formal education front, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, this stuff felt so far removed that I wouldn't even have known that there was an LA film school that I could go to. Now that there are so many opportunities, LA LA Film School being a great opportunity for students to get plugged into to film, television, recording. Um, I, I, I think it's 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 a great idea to get kind of a jump start over your peers. But just getting involved and volunteering in any way, you, you got to do it. I love that. I want to now pivot to deal making because this is something that you you've written a lot about. You speak a lot about sort of the art of the entertainment deal. And it's something that I can tell you in my legal practice as well. It comes up most often because I'm often representing artists who are negotiating something, usually with a content company or a record label or something like that. And I've always imparted to artists that deal making is not just a skill that you want your lawyer to have. You need to be an active part of that deal making process as well. You be, you know, you want to be a strong negotiator as well. You know, know what buttons to push, where what levers you can pull, and all of that. And whenever I suggest to an artist, this might be a good place to push, you know, try to get better terms here and, you know, really try to maybe force the issue. They inevitably come back and say the same thing. But what if we kill the deal? I'm afraid of killing the deal. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you about that deal maker. How what are what advice would you give to artists who want to try to get the best deal they can in a tough negotiation, maybe with like a big content company? without necessarily killing the deal in the process and making that company walk away. So so the first thing that I will say to that, and in my 10 years of working in Hollywood, I have never seen a deal walk away because the two sides we're, we're at a, we're at a too aggressive negotiation. Nobody Mm. I've ever seen walk away from a deal because the asks were too absurd. Um, you know, we're, we're all professionals in terms of what we do. And, and, and really it, it, the, 
what's the saying? The squeaky wheel gets the oil. You really do kind of have to leave no stone unturned. Um, My best clients know what they want personally and are able to articulate to that to me so that I can relay those on. But it's really a communication between me and my client and making sure that they get exactly what it is that they're expecting. And, you know, that, that, that there are no kind of sour grapes at the end of the deal. Um, you know, sometimes a bad deal is better than no, or sorry, no deal is better than a bad deal. If you're going to walk away feeling like you didn't get exactly what you're owed, but at the at the same time too, you know, uh, um, I'm, I always call myself a deal maker, not a deal breaker. Um, and so, so I'm always trying to get people to see that, that, you know, there are, there are benefits to be had on both sides of the table. If both sides can give up one thing or the other, and both sides can usually walk away from a deal feeling like they got, they got a win that that's where I like to make my deals. What you've described is why I love doing what I do on the entertainment law side, because people say like, Oh, you're a lawyer. That must be so stressful. Like you are, you know, like it's, it's so zero sum, like you're fighting and you're battling and and only one side can win. I was like, well, I'm a transactional lawyer. I make deals. Like even, even though there's an attorney on the opposite side of the table, we're both trying to make the same thing happen. And maybe we have a slightly different vision for how that thing's going to happen, but we all want the contract signed. We all want the company set up. We all want the deal structured and since we all kind of have the same end goal, we're all kind of on the same, we're, we know we're all going to be on the same team when, when the deal's done. It makes it, it makes often the relationship I have with opposing counsel, a positive one. Absolutely. Um, you know, all of my opposing counsel are secretly my drinking buddies on the weekend. Um, you know, it's kind of like that, that old, uh, Looney Tunes show with the coyote and the sheepdog where they beat each other up during the office hours. And then they go in and do the little punch the card. Hey, Fred, Hey George. On Man, the way that's a great reference. But, but, but wow. you know, and, and at a macro level, yes, we do want the deals to go through, but we also want to see the best piece of entertainment put forth in the in the zygist right like we are at least i am i am doing this because i love the art of art i love the art of entertainment to me entertainment is art consumed in real time right and and to me you know if 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 I'm getting my client the best deal, whether that's on the talent side of things and they're going to perform to the best of their ability or on the production side of things, I'm making sure that the most amount of money is going to be appearing on screen for the best amount of product. You know, that that's, that's where all of our interests are aligned. So talk to me about your philosophy when you're repping a client in a deal-making situation. What, Give us a little bit, without giving all the secrets away, but give us a little bit about what approach you're taking when repping a client to try to get a good outcome? You know, I think the most, it, it sounds silly and basic, but the most important thing to me is just listening, really listening to what it is that the client needs, knowing my client, knowing their ins and outs. Um, you know, I, I represented a, uh, a young actress in her teens who was going to uh, perform abroad for six months, you know, making sure that she had access to cell phone with unlimited text messaging and email access and all that shebang. Um, and, and having good consultation over her wardrobe and makeup and, and allowing her certain outs to be able to perform on her music career. 
here. You know, those kind of things, just making sure that I know my client. You know, I think a lot of times, especially when you're practicing um, um, here in California, there's a degree of separation between the piece of talent, the agent, the manager, mm-hmm. and then ultimately, you know, the kind of the attorney, the Darth Vader's in the room. Um, um, we, we may be kind of the most removed from talent, so to speak, in their day-to-day lives, but we probably need to know the ins and outs of their lives, um, you know, just as good, if not better than their agents and managers. So, so listening to my talent, um, listening, listening to the other side and what it is that they're saying and what it is that they need, and just trying to find creative solutions so that all parties can win. That's mm-hmm. great perspective. I have about a billion more questions for you, Joshua, but the listeners and the viewers, I should say, ha- are throwing some great questions in the chat. And so I I want to like throw one of those your way here. It just came up on the screen. Uh, Pat Cat Amber writes, out of curiosity, how do folks who want to get into that industry stand out? I assume it would be one of those gatekeeper industries where you need to know somebody and get contacts. What do you think about that? You know, so so I will tell you, when I moved to California from Iowa, I didn't know a single person in this entire state, you know, one of the largest states in the nation. Um, I got the phone number of my aunt's ex-husband's boss's wife's sister's kid. Uh, wow. that, that, How that's, many? That's like 11 that? degrees there. 11 degrees wow. of separation. And, and, and my first, you know, six months in LA, I think I sent an email um, to every business and legal affairs attorney in person that I could, that I could, uh, that I could find online. This was before LinkedIn and stuff. Um, but it was really that first connection. My aunt, my aunt's ex-husband's boss's wife's sister's kid, who is an attorney for American Idol at the time. Try saying that three times fast. <laughs> right, right. I had some practice. Um, it, it, it was really just her being open and receptive to meeting me to dinner in that one kind of interaction that that opened the door. And that got me my first job, which led to the second job, which led to the third job. But it was really, you know, messaging 120 people in the first six months of being in LA. Hey, can we go out and get coffee? Um, Being persistent about it, not taking things personally when people didn't respond. You know, uh, for a lot of us, time is money. And if you're repping a guy like Woody Harrelson, you know, he's making $4 million across two, three days of filming that that's an attorney's, you know, 5% down the drain for, for everyone that they speak to. So not everyone can, you know, be, be as, afford of affording and giving of their time um but but i think that 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 those two kind of feed in one in one of it in with one another um you know as as generous as people were to me of of their time as i was growing up i now try to be generous to people with my time um and i tell all of my students and all of my mentees to make sure to pay it forward um and and be you know open to meeting people being receptive to helping people you know i think that the linkedin community and entertainment is is really strong as well um linkedin is just becoming such a great resource for people to find careers 
careers um, in this post-pandemic world. And so, so while there is some element of, of gatekeeperness per se, it's really just a matter of how many doors are you willing to knock on? How many stones are you willing to leave unturned? Because you may knock on a thousand doors, but it may just be that one door that opens that gets you to that thing. So, so being open, saying yes to things, volunteering, making yourself seen, making yourself available. Like I said, go volunteer at your local theaters, your local production houses, um, um, and, and create. Just create, 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 create. Because really the, the, the people that I see that are at the top now, you know, um, look, look at the Ben Stiller show in the, in the late, uh, 1980s, early 1990s, right? That was, that was pretty crude in format way back when. So, so everyone's got to start somewhere in terms of, of just making content. There's a lot of people who talk about making stuff. Um, fewer people actually do make stuff. Well, Lauren, jo what Joshua was saying there reminds me a lot of what Helen Hong, when we had her on a few weeks ago, talked about in terms of you need to see the other people in your community as colleagues and friends and not adversaries. You need to you know, work with them, create stuff together. You know, Helen Hong talked about how she got her break because she was doing open mics with Amy Schumer when Amy Schumer started out. And then Amy Schumer got the Inside Amy Schumer show on Comedy Central. And Amy said to Helen, hey, Helen, I need you to, can you come in and do one of my sketches? And then that's yeah. how her career took off. And you never know who's going to be the person who gets the show on Comedy Central. So you got to keep creating and got to keep building that network. And it's your family. The creators out there are your people. So if you're turning your back on uh, them, the rest of the world isn't going to come to your side. Those are your people. <laughs> time to kiss and make up, you know, yeah. and, and in a really micro way too, like even going back to my days at CAA, you know, we were all stuck in the CAA mailroom, you know, we're all making minimum wage. We're all working 30 hour days. We're all grabbing coffee and, and, you know, our shoes are running out at the bottom and stuff. But now those guys that I worked with in the mailroom, they may be mid-level executive uh, VPs on their way to SVPs on their way to starting their own studios on their way to, to becoming their own, you know, uh, creative sensation. So, so it really is just about being in the trenches and being with people, um, you know, uh, uh, building those interpersonal connections. Right on. All right. We only have about five minutes left and I do want to get this one more question in before we go to our final question. And I I'm already apologizing in advance because this is a heavy topic and we're not going to, you're not going to have enough time to do this topic justice. But I do want to talk to you about um, sensitivity coordinators because they've been in the news a lot lately and you are a media Love ethics it. expert. You know, we've been hearing stories recently about actors like Amanda Seyfried talking about being uncomfortable on set or Jeanette McCurdy, um, you know, being uncomfortable on a set when she before you know, when she was a child actor. And I know that you do a lot of work in the sensitivity, co sensitivity coordination side as a lawyer. Um, you, you, you draft a lot of the paperwork for things like that to help create a, a safer environment for actors. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you do in that area and maybe what you're seeing in the news right now? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's something that I that I will say that, you know, in starting my career somewhere around 2013, 2014 to where we're at today in 2022, there has been a monumental shift in how this is handled, how this is dealt with, the sensitivity level, even even, you know, going back to the the very first seasons of Stranger Things, which really wasn't even that long ago. We now have just a giant, a, a way different perspective on how we treat child celebrities in those more intimate relationships and stuff. Um, and then just kind of there being like more multiple advocates between, you know, us as attorneys and the intimacy coordinators are going to be there. And then all of the production assistants and everyone just kind of holding everyone accountable um, for ki kind of keeping the system safe for everybody. I, I, I know that it's evolving. I know that we have work to do in that area, um, but I think that we're on the right track. And I hope that we are far from the, the, the days of the Jenna McCurdy um, stuff and, and all these things that happened to her, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago, but, but I was actually, you know, in, in, high school college growing up when that kind of that stuff happened and it's kind of part of why i got into this industry is because i don't want to see people getting taken advantage of um i think i think that the industry you know as as it, as um time goes on there's going to be more advocates that that are pushing for those kind of things really appreciate your perspective there. this is joshua lasting everybody from uh lasting entertainment law pc before we let you go, one last question. Excited to get your answer for it. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? So, so, so three things I really want to focus on, you know, and I've kind of touched a base on them a little bit already. You, you got to get out and network. You can't, you can't be afraid to contact people. You can't be afraid to, to ask for what you're worth. You can't be afraid to rock the boat. Um, it really is, you know, it is a big, big world. There's what, 7 billion people on this planet. It is the ones that really go out there and kind of grab things um, um, that are going to be seen and they're going to be heard. So, so get out there, um, network, you know, look at it, look at assistance. Assistants hold a lot of power in Hollywood and you can get very far um, in just talking to assistants because they kind of know where all the bodies are buried. Uh -huh. um work on so, so so number one network um network with people that you you wouldn't expect to network with network with some of the lower people on the totem pole because those are the people that are going to be rising up with you in the trenches or you're going to know about jobs as they become available um number two strategize be really smart about how you're looking for creative gigs where where are your own media consumption habits look at those and where do where do the sources of that content come from look at the writers directors and producers of the things that you're already consuming and that you already love as sources of inspiration um, for strategy strategizing purposes and 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 really focus on your personal brand um, and then and then obviously the last thing pay it forward pay it forward to everyone you meet um, you never know who's who's going to be somebody in this industry someday. You know, I, I'm pretty sure Jerry Bruckheimer's attorney was his college roommate. So we're, we're, we're all, we're all kind of rising in these very different areas, um, you, you know, uh, of the business. So, so be willing to help each other out. Well done. Well said, Joshua, this has been a treat. Uh, don't be a stranger. Right. Anytime you want to come on back, we'd love to have you on again to talk about, talk to you about so many different topics. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, Joshua Lasting, everybody, 
really terrific. Now, Lauren, we got about a minute left in the show, and I know that you are finally making your way back from Scotland, right? You've been at you've been at Ed Fringe for a while, and now you're you're coming back. And I know you have a a video package for us of of some. You, you took some video. You talked to some artists. I'm so, sure we've got a lot of content that'll be lasting us for a while after this. Uh, but I did go on a mission to find an indie band that wrote original music that featured bagpipes. This was my Edinburgh mission. I succeeded. That's what we all want. We all want the bagpipes. So here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> let's, let's, we'll sign off. We'll thank everybody for, you know, we'll play the outro music and then everybody stay on. Don't go anywhere. Cause we're going to play that music at the end and you get to hear the best of Ed Fringe. Does that sound good, Lauren? Yes. Just, uh, as we go out there, you will be listening to, Wakili by the spinning blowfish. There you go. That's my shout out right there. Woo. There you go. L- looking Thank forward to it. Uh, thanks to you, uh, to producer Lauren. Thanks to Joshua Lasting. Thanks to Elisa for hosting the show the last four weeks. And uh, thanks to my new son, Nathan, for just warming my heart every day. And thank you all for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.